0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: From Psalm 65 Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The One who by His strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. So those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at Your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Let's pray. God Almighty, that is You. The One Lord of the heavens and the earth. You existed before any of it and then You spoke it into being and You sustain its moment by moment by moment existence. You give life to us creatures of Yours. You show Yourself to us in Your, in your nature, in Your creation that is all around us and in particular ways in Your house, in Your temple. You show us Yourself in the sacrifice on the altar, cleansing our sin. Calm the tumult of the peoples so that everyone on the earth cries glory. Or rather should cry glory. But so often we are oblivious to all of this. And so I pray, Father, would You forgive us this morning of the fact that while this psalm is true of You, we are often unaware and live apart from it. We want more. So forgive us, Lord, and I pray move here in this room this morning by your Spirit's power to to make more happen within us, to make us aware of you, to graciously enable us to live before you and to see you, to interact with you as you really are, and to live in your world as if you really are. It is what you deserve, and it is what. Our souls were made for. So I pray, graciously help us this morning, Father. And particularly help us to see your glory in your Son. We need him to fill our hearts and to bring us to you, to cleanse us from sin to conform us to His image. So do that, Father, Son, and Spirit, I pray. Use this time this morning to build Your people, to build Your church, and to honor Your glorious name. Towards that end, I pray, that You would be honored and that Your people would be blessed and built and nourished. For Jesus' sake, For your sake and for our sake. Amen. We've been moving through the book of 1 Corinthians. And last week we looked at the last half of chapter 10. And there we saw that Paul is finally bringing to a close the answer to the question he was asked in a letter. What about eating food sacrificed to idols? Can we do that? Some of the Corinthian church had asked him about that because others thought it was just fine and, and had been freely doing so, had gone into the, the pagan temples and eaten the meat, sacrificed to idols. Some were concerned about that, and Paul finally answers it and says, no, that's idolatry, you can't do that. But all throughout the section, the larger issue that he'd been after was the, was the attitude behind it. More important than the question about the meat itself was the attitude in the human heart and he saw in the Corinthian church an attitude of, of self-focused pride. Of an over-utilization of the freedom that they'd that achieved in their Christian faith and say, hey, it's permissible for us, we're going to do it for our own benefit, for our own pleasure, no matter what it costs anybody else. That was, that was his concern. And so he was addressing that and saw another opportunity to do so in our section that we looked at last week. Kind of a related issue to the main question they'd asked about. What about meat not in the temples? Can we eat that meat? And he addresses that last week. And twice, at the beginning of the section, at the end of the section, gets after the main point again. Don't use your freedom to feed and to nourish and to bless yourselves, but use it to do good to your neighbor. He starts a section and ends a section with that. That's what he's after, really throughout these several chapters and last week. And we saw that in that context... Chapter ten, verse thirty-one, exists, which is going to be our focus for this morning. It's important to see that context, because the main issue is, as I was just saying, this, this whole attitude of of self-focused pride. But we often hear verse thirty-one kind of lifted out in isolation, because it's an important verse. So last week we addressed it in its context, and if you want more about that. Go back and listen to that. But this week I'm going to lift it out and talk about just that verse because it is an important verse. And so if if you're new here this morning, I'm doing something a little unusual, preaching on just one verse and essentially preaching a topical sermon on the topic raised by that verse, the glory of God. It is an important topic and really I'm just going to scratch the surface of it. But the the concept, the topic, the idea of the glory of God and of God Himself is a topic that is of tremendous importance and I believe profoundly neglected in Christian circles today. In my life even. And I know these things, but I find that I drift away from it constantly. I drift away from it, and as I talk to people, I know you do too. We drift away from the fact that fundamentally you and I, we are always people before God. Long before we are people before our spouses or people before our parents or people before our co-workers, we are people before God. We are God's creatures and we live in God's world. We are here for God's purposes. And while we may acknowledge that, very often what happens, even as Christians, what happens is that rather than living before God, we live beside Him, with with Him along in tow, facing the world. There's something wrong with that. We are people before God. Meant, designed, created to take every single cue from Him. To, to have such a focus on Him that every twitch in His face, every, every catch in His breath gets our attention and causes us to look closely, think and respond. People before God. It behooves us then When we have an opportunity, when a verse like this comes along, it behooves us to stop and think about that a little bit. Living before God. Living before God for His purposes. Living before God by His power. Living before God in His world. And what this verse tells us is what God's agenda is. What His purpose is. Here for us. So let me read it. This is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, period. We have an opportunity this morning to consider what that means for us. I summarize it in a sentence, let me put it like this, we're going to look at this morning, my My main point this morning, God commands and enables His people to live all of life to the glory of God. He commands and enables us to live all of life to the glory of God, which is for our good. And unpack that by making two points. The first one is an observation of the verse itself. I'm going to kind of unpack the verse. So the first observation: the glory of God is God's goal in God's creation. That's what the verse is about. The glory of God is God's goal. Look at verse 31, and the first thing we note is that it is a command. And a command from God indicates what God wants, what He's after, what He intends to, to be the way it is, what He, what he, what he wants to bring about. And so He commands that, do all to the glory of God, all, as in all endeavors, as in everything in life, eating and drinking, whatever. Now, now eating and drinking, obviously in this context means something. Paul has something particular in mind. He's, he's just been talking about eating the meat offered to the sacrifices. So he has something particular in focus. But stepping away from that particular context, we should note that eating and drinking are very, very ordinary things. They are extraordinarily common. And when he tacks on, or whatever you do, it, it really could not get any more generic. This is intended, he he writes this sentence to, to make us think not about religious rituals or worship services, formal structured church gatherings. He wants us to think about basic bread and butter life. This is about taking out the garbage, about doing your homework about running the kids to soccer practice. It's about you sitting in your car all by yourself with just your thoughts. It's not about Sunday morning worship service. It is about that, but it's not just about that. It's about far more than that. Run-of-the-mill life. God's goal is that in all of life, in every moment, in every event, in every circumstance, to the glory of God. It is fundamental, foundational, basic, elemental to life. Which heightens the need to make sure that we understand it. What does this mean? If in every single aspect of life I am to be about this, what is it? Well, let's let's start by thinking about the word glory. Glory in itself is not a biblical word. It's It's not a limited to the Bible sort of thing. If you think about it, we, we could use that word in all of life and do. It gets attached to, to warriors, to sports events, a, a glorious concert, a glorious sunset. It, it's used everywhere out there. It, it simply means, in its various forms, whether it be noun or verb, you have to modify what I'm saying to, depending on the, the grammar, but it, it simply means great honor, Praise, high distinction, adoration, exalting something, highly honoring it, to give it glory, to glorify it. If I were to write something to the glory of George Washington... I would be writing a piece of literature that is designed to display for everybody who reads it how good and honorable and great and high and exalted and wonderful George Washington is, probably by talking about his character and the things he did, talking about his honesty and his integrity and and mentioning that he commanded the first army of the United States and was the first president of the United States and and did an incredibly important thing in walking away from the presidency after two terms so as not to establish another king. Remarkable there. I have spoken to the glory of George Washington. It's not a biblical idea. But obviously, in this concept, God's goal is that we would live to the glory of aiming to praise, to bring honor to, to bring exaltation to, to reveal to others how good and wonderful God is. How do we do that? We'll take one of the examples from the passage. To eat to the glory of God. He gives us some hints. The context right before and the context right after. To eat to the glory of God from right before touches on the the subject, the, the, the attitude of thankfulness. Up in verse 30. If I eat with thankfulness and I eat giving thanks, I'm not condemned. So on the one hand, to... Eat to the glory of God is to eat with a a mental, notice it starts inside, an attitude of thankfulness that says, God, you have given this food. The earth is the Lord and all the things in it, the fullness thereof. And you have given this to me. You did not have to, but you did. And I say thank you for it. And I eat mindful of that, at least inside, and if I speak it out loud, honoring you. And on the other hand, the context that follows after verse 31 says, Eating to the glory of God involves making sure there are no obstacles between people and the gospel. That's touching on the bigger context of these chapters. Making sure that how I carry myself in my eating or in my drinking or in whatever I do clears away everything that could possibly block people from seeing how good and how honorable and how wonderful this God is. So I eat to the glory. I eat with an attitude of thankfulness. Giving thanks and making sure that everybody, as far as I can help it, can clearly see who God is in all of His wonder. To eat. To drink. To speak to the glory of God. With words and with attitudes behind them that display how good He is. I suspect... That right up to this point, nobody fundamentally disagrees with me. Maybe I haven't thought about it in in exactly some of those ways, but, but this is not, I haven't said anything really very unique yet. We all understand this, it's pretty clear. Why don't we do it? Why not? If you think through your life, why do you not, in every eating, and every drinking, and in every other little thing, as you sit in your car with just your thoughts, why is it that the things that run through your mind are not to the glory of God? The things you say to the driver in the next car are not to the glory of God. Why is that? Why is it that the command... I mean, it's very clear. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you've heard it before, so it's not new. What I have said is not that complicated. Why don't we live it? To answer that, think about... And you fill in your own blank here, but think about when you last found yourself pouring out praise of something or someone. the new ipad you got your girlfriend your new job it poured out of you why that see here's the question that did come out of you and the glory of god didn't why you can watch it have you ever had this conversation with somebody where you're talking about, maybe you're just talking about ordinary life, and then you, you happen to stumble upon the thing that they're really geeked about? Whew, they light up, and the words start running. You've got to see this new... I've had people show off their, their, uh, their Kindles to me like this, which are okay. Their, their iPhones their cars, their houses, golf clubs. You've had this experience. You suddenly discover, oh, that's the thing He cares about. That's the answer. That's the thing He cares about. The reason that it runs out of His mouth is that it owns Him in here. It's got Him in some way. And the reason that God doesn't, the reason that the glory of God doesn't run out of our mouths and run through our hands is that he doesn't have us in here. Which is a tragedy. A tragedy, men and women. And I'm not talking about just because it's disobedience. It is that too. It's a command that it's disobedience. But moving away from that fact, it's a tragedy because this is what you were made for. And it doesn't have you. In moments, yes. In periods of time, yes. But not in a steady state in eating and drinking and in everything you do. It doesn't have you. And that is a tragedy. We are, we are so often like, like starving newborn infants. If you've nursed or if you've been married to someone who nurses, you've seen this. The baby is hungry. Crying and wailing and lashing. And mom's trying to make the connection. The food is right there. It has let down. It is available and plentiful. And baby cannot find it. And you want to just grab the head and just... Right? I've not done this, but I've seen it three, three times around. It's real. It's right there. Parent, mom wants to make the connection, baby desperately needs it, but but frenetic in tumult. Would that we would have something just touch that baby, touch that man, touch that woman, and say, Come, feast. Be satisfied. Find fullness and rest for your soul. He commands that. He commands that because... Moving ahead into the second point. Because it's what's right and good, but also it's what fills us. And men and women, we... We should be grieved by this. There should be repentance because it is disobedience. And there should be an an awareness of some... There's something significantly wrong inside of me that I am not moment by moment throughout all of my day completely mesmerized by and seeking to communicate the goodness of this God because He is full goodness. something's wrong with me in here i am in turmoil i am i'm am tossed around i need someone to lay their hand on me and say oh, stop god does that talk about that in a minute how he does that but we should stop and or as we're trying this morning to be a people before God and to think about what God is like related to God's glory, we should realize that all throughout the creation, God has been about displaying His glory. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. He he created to display His glory. And all throughout the Bible, men and women of God have known that they need this and want it. Moses, show me your glory. And the book... The work of God ends with us all gathered together in a city. And I love that one of the lyrics touched on this this morning. Where there is no need for a sun because the glory of the Lord is their light and the Lamb is their lamp. Give us a little clue as to how God is going to address this problem in us. It's going to involve a lamb. all throughout the Bible, all throughout God's creation work, there there is this dance, if you will, of God creating for His own glory and God seeking to give His glory to people. And that's thrashing. And so God steps in and He puts His hand down and He acts so as to make the connection. And the second point then, God's commitment to His own glory comes to our rescue in the cross. God's commitment to His glory is, is profound, it's strong, and it's His commitment that comes to our rescue. It does so in the cross. And I could speak that sentence with emphasis on his own glory. The Bible is, is full of Isaiah 42, Isaiah 48 are instances where, where God makes clear I will not share my glory with another. God is righteous. And He knows full well what the first commandment is. He gave it. And He won't break it. He will not allow there to be another God rivaling Him. He will defend His own glory. And He will work so as to propagate His own glory. To make it known His own glory. Which does not mean that beneath that there's no glory in anything else anywhere it is appropriate to give honor and praise to other things the bible says so but it's all beneath and underneath of god's agenda to pursue his own glory he's right he does that he's committed to it committed to it because it's right and committed to it because he loves us look at john chapter 11 Turn there and look at John 11. There's an important connection in John 11. If you turn there, you'll see it. You'll, You'll know the story. And I've preached on this before. If you want to look at more details, you can check that out online. But I'm just going to touch on one thing from John 11. And the reason I need to do this it's because when I talk so much about God, about his own glory, it can sound like that's a little heavy handed and egotistical and selfish. It's right. He's righteous. He has to defend his own glory. But John 11 points out something else to us that he also does it because of his love for us. John 11 is the story, if you're there now, it's the story of, of the death of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus. In the first couple verses, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, know that Lazarus is deathly ill and they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. In other words, come quickly. You have power to to heal him. Come and heal him. And Jesus then says, verse 4, this illness is for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or get sick and die, do it all for the glory of God. That's what Jesus is saying. This illness is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. Next verse. Now, Jesus loved these guys. So he hurries down to heal him, right? No. So he waits. He loves them, so he waits, and that's an important translation point. If some translations miss this, the next word is "so." Therefore, he waited two days longer before going to help to make sure that Lazarus was in the tomb four days beyond all hope. If you come at two days, I mean, he'd only been dead two days. Their culture of that time held that maybe there would be a resuscitation. Maybe maybe this could work. But by four days, no hope. That's when Jesus arrives. How is that about the glory of God? How is that about the love of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? What does he do to Lazarus? He calls his decomposing body back to life, and out of the tomb. Stunning everyone. Healing, we've seen that before, but not this. He is glorified in a new and greater way by showing His power over death, which is His love to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and us who read it as we see something new about His glory. So to put this together, what the glory and love connection is, is it is loving to us. It feeds us. It is the food. It is the milk that sustains us to see the glory of God in constantly new and deeper and wider ways. So for God to be about His own glory and God to be about our love are both united to one another. He is greatly committed to doing the right thing and defending His own glory. And He is greatly committed to doing the loving thing and showing us His glory. God's committed to His glory and we aren't. What's He going to do about that? He's going to act to show it to us. Not just command us, show us, so that it grabs us in here, so that we're won by it. He shows his glory to us in a myriad of ways. And this is what gets hard for us modern people who live in a world that seems stuck on Fast Forward and Volume 10. I think this would have been easier in a world where when you walk away from people, it is silent. And when the sun goes down, it is dark. I think this would have been easier in that world. But it's possible here. God shows us His glorious, His wonderful, His marvelous nature in, first, in the creation. Bible's is full of this. Psalm sixty-five. You formed the mountains from your might. Isaiah forty is all about it. I saw it this last week as I sat on a bench and looked at a grasshopper. You can do that. Do it. I sit there and I look. I see this little ba- a little baby grasshopper, an inch long sitting in the sun warming itself and along comes an ant seemingly chasing him the ant comes after him the grasshopper moves away with its v-shaped spiny legs kind of arching up as it crawls away just a little bit still staying in the sun the ant comes after him and he crawls away again the the little antenna or the ant are kind of feeling and it bumps into a rock and three of the ant's legs go up over the side it's a little bitty pebble on a sidewalk under the sun beneath a tree in front of 10,000-foot mountains on a little bitty planet on a wing of the Milky Way galaxy in a universe. God made all of that. Marvelous is His name. Controls a little antenna that goes like this, and the Milky Way, which is small by comparison. If you will take the time, brothers and sisters, take the time to sit yourself down before God in a grasshopper or in the universe. He spoke that and it was, and he speaks, and it is and it remains. And alarmingly, we can walk through and exist in all of that oblivious to it. Here we are back to our blindness. Have you ever had the gift of tears? Do you know what I mean by that? It's an old phrase. The gift of tears. A gift from God that leads you to... Wet eyed sorrow. It can come in a moment like that if you'll stop and wait. You see the little, the smallest of all creatures in the vastest of a universe, and then you realize, I don't care most of the time. Oh my. And I don't say that that I don't care for I don't say that to to like bust your chops or something. I, I say that to be honest. If we're honest, men and women, brothers and sisters, even as Christians, we walk through most days forgetting. At best, beside him, forgetting. And so I sit there and I look at that, and you can, and I plead with you, sit there and look at those things and realize oh my, I don't care. Woe is me. I'm a rebel and I don't care. And yet, to the praise of His glorious grace, He has not raised His hand to strike me, but rather to save me. And to deliver to me concern and wonder and even joy at those things. That's you. You sit there deserving of one thing and a recipient of another. That God would graciously give you the gift of tears in that moment, as you would realize something about His glorious grace. His nature. Not just His works, His power to make, but His nature, His character to save even rebels like you and me. That God would send His Son. That God would step into a world full of people who do not care. That God would Himself come and Himself go to the cross that He does not deserve to save and then to deliver you to eternal enjoyment of His goodness. If He would give you the gift of tears that would break your heart and cause you to weep for joy. What God has done, what God has done to rescue us from our blindness and to rescue us from our deprived living, not just depraved, deprived living, walking through a world and through a life without the thing that is glorious God Himself. What God has done is a marvel. you will not notice it if you do not stop and give yourself to looking at it. It will come to you. As you look at an ant and think about it, as you look at the Scriptures and think about them, I read Psalm 65 because I read that this morning. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Yes, it is. I know that. It's not rising out of me. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed, O you who hears Prayer. He hears your prayer. He will interact with you. When iniquities prevail against me, my sin, you atone for our transgressions. It pays for my sin. He will hear me. He will cleanse me. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. And I stop and I think about that. Why? Because there, that's where God and man meet. There in the temple, in His house, where His presence is known, that's where I can meet Him and I'll find goodness there. Oh God, will You show it to me? You must, you must stop and look Look out there. Look in here. And realize that the only reason that He can even talk to you is because He has acted to remove your sin off of you and make you clean in His sight to the praise of His glorious grace. God has committed to His own glory for your good. And He has acted in Christ to save you. So I plead with you, come and feast. Find what's good about Him. Find it for your, your own soul's sake. And when it's there, then the obedience to the command will, will, will follow because it will flow out of you. You will talk about that which grips you. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray. God, would you graciously now move in your your children here. Cause us to see what is glorious about you. And to be gripped by that. Father, we are at Your mercy because if we're honest, all these these concepts, these words, these passages, they are all familiar to us, in some cases too familiar. And so we are at Your mercy, needing You to stir us. At the same time, needing You to calm us. To settle the turmoil so that we will stop and Eat So God of grace, you act on your church, on your people. to make us set aside time, to give us eyes that believe that when we do that there will be something to find. Make us set aside time and then meet us there, please. Please, please. Just show us Jesus. The only Savior of the world. Cause us to marvel at Him and to love Him and to rest in Him. Father, would You be glorified in the lives of us as individuals and in the life of us as as a unified body, as a church, to be glorified in whatever we do, equip us to sing of your praises, and make you known, not just in our own hearts, but out there around us towards this end that I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.